to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul has already talked about various things be, that were happening in the church that was had crept into the church there in Corinth. You remember Corinth was much like here in the United States, but even maybe more debaucherous, if you can imagine. Uh, we're pretty debaucherous here in the United States, and there in Corinth, it, in many ways, it may have even been worse. And so, you know, you have... Uh, legalized prostitution, if you will, not just legalized, but encouraged prostitution, and that in a a religious manner. And so there was rampant sexual immorality. And we do have rampant sexual immorality um, in our own nation today, as well as in this whole world that we live in. And so as Paul has dealt with that, he's then talked about also the, the situation of Litigation between believers, you know, um, brothers suing brothers and, and taking them to court and having a, a worldly judge judge between two Christians instead of having a Christian be an arbitrator between two Christians. Paul kind of came down on them on that. And then he talked a little bit more about sexual immorality last week. But now he's going to be moving from, you know, that and into how it affects our own life, sexual immorality, how it affects our life, not just personally, but also in our marriage, in our marriage. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we see the words of Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. You remember last time we were together and a few times that we've talked about this, that you remember 1 Corinthians is kind of a little bit of a misnomer in that 1 Corinthians is not really the first letter. Um, it's actually the second letter that had been written to uh, uh, that Paul had written to the Corinthians, and he had already addressed one thing, and we talked a little bit about that last week. And so, First Corinthians is is literally Second Corinthians, and Second Corinthians is actually Third Corinthians, but we just don't have access, and nor have we found the first letter to the Corinthians that Paul wrote. And so. Not only was Paul writing to them, but they were also writing to Paul and asking Paul for clarification on certain issues, certain dialogues, certain things. Um, as a pastor, I am oftentimes presented with things like that. You know, I'll have maybe a, uh, you know, some, you know, person come up to me and say, is it okay for me to go to parties? Is it okay for me to go to dances? Is it okay for me to, to hang out with a, you know, a, a, you know, a bunch of people that, that, don't know the Lord and, and, you know, get high all the time. Is it okay for me to do that? I don't do it, but is it okay for me to hang out with people like that? Is it okay? Well, um, oftentimes when people ask me questions of, can I do this? Can I, can I go and do that? Can I do this? Well, number one, why would you come to me? I'm just a pastor. I'm nothing. I'm just like you. Go to the Lord. What does the Lord have to say? But my typical answer will be in somewhere along this line, if you're asking me whether or not it's right for you to do it, it sounds like you might have a check in your spirit on whether or not you should be doing it in the first place. And that check in your spirit is oftentimes the Holy Spirit saying, hey, you're walking down a road that may not benefit you. This is a road that can cause destruction in your life. 
So be careful. Don't go down this road. Be careful. Stay away from this road. You know, and, 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 and sometimes we try to justify it like Balaam did. You know, he wanted to, I don't have time to get into that, but he was actually a prophet of the Lord that wanted to, to gain all of this, this you know, uh, notoriety and all of this money and all of this fame from a debaucherous king. In fact, it was the king of Moab. Moab literally means toilet bowl. And so he was the king of the toilet bowl. He was like the tidy bowl man, you know. And that only affects us older people in here because, I don't know, is tidy bowl even still out there? I don't know. But, um, you know, he wanted to, to, to go with this king and he ended up, you know, the king says, here's the thing. We've got all of Israel sitting on our, on our border and we're afraid of Israel. We're afraid of the Jews or the Hebrews. Jews and Hebrews synonymous. One's Old Testament, one's New Testament. It's the same exact word. But we're afraid of the Hebrews. And so we want you to make God curse, your God curse his people. And, and Balaam goes, well... Uh, I don't. I don't think it. I don't, that, that almost doesn't sound right. It'd be like like your neighbor who you don't know coming over to you if you're a parent and saying, "Hey, um, can you curse your kid? Can you can you can you kill your kid? Can you wipe your kid out? Can you drive your kid away from the house so that he's no longer around you? Because you know what? Here's the thing. I don't want him to come over into my yard." And so would you, would you hurt your kid? Would you drive him away from your house so that I don't even have to worry about it anymore? That's exactly what Balak, the king of Moab, Balak, the king of Seward pots, you know, that's what he was asking Balaam, a prophet of the Lord, to do. And instead of Balaam going, nah, God wouldn't be down with that, Balaam goes, well, here, uh, how much money are you offering? Well, let me take it to the Lord. And he goes to the Lord, and the Lord goes, absolutely not, don't go. Well, yeah, I was thinking that's what you were going to say. But, I mean, it was a little bit of money, and I thought maybe I would ask you, because maybe, maybe, just maybe, you would let me curse your kids. And God says no. So he goes back to Balaam and goes, yeah, God said no. Can't do it. Balaam goes, wait a minute. Let's send more dignitaries. Let's say it, send Kanye to talk to him. Let's send, let's send some, you know, some really, really, you know, impressive people in the world to, to talk to him. And let's send even more money and more notoriety. And he goes there to, to Balaam. And instead of Balaam hearing from what the Lord had to say, I said I wasn't going to really get into it, but I am. But here's the thing. He goes back to Balaam. says, look at all this money from these hands, you know, these prestigious people from the world, you know, people that people would really like to hang with, you know. And, and they're, wow, he brought the Kardashians and Kanye and $10 million to curse God's kids. Well, God said no before, but he didn't know that you sent Beyonce. And all this money. So let me go back to God and let me ask him again because maybe he changed his mind. Does God change his mind? Turn to your neighbor and say no. Okay, okay. God doesn't change his mind. What's Balak doing? He's being an idiot is what he's being. Okay, he goes back to the Lord and goes, God, here's his. Got all these people here. I mean, I got Kanye, Kardashians, and Beyonce in my house right now with $10 million. They just want you to curse your kids. Is that okay? Can you do it? Please, oh, please, oh, 
please, oh, please. And God says, what did I say before? Get away from me. I told you, no, these are my kids. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go back. Ah, I'm sorry. God's just not into cursing his kid. Go ahead and go back and tell Balak I can't do it. Balak says, no, that ain't going to do. So he sends a third delegation with a lot more impressive people. Now, Kanye would be all over that. He'd hate that because somebody more important than me. Yeah. Send more people and they go back with much more money. And we're also going to make you very powerful in our kingdom. You're going to be a real big famous name. You are going to be able to go to all the parties at our place no, I mean, every time there's a big thing, you're going to be at all the Academy Awards shows, Grammys, all of those things, and we're going to clap for you. So all of this stuff and $150 million plus all these sports figures, all these entertainers, and all, the, all these people. Obama is even here with you. Will you please curse the children of Israel? Wow, this is a lot. Let me go back to the Lord and ask him one more time. Hang out there. Lord, do you see who's in my place? $150 million. You know what you can do with $150 million, Lord? How often do we do that kind of stuff? God, if you gave me this truck, do you know how many people I could actually you know, bring to church? If, if you gave me this boat, Lord, I would take people out all the time on it. You know, oh, whatever, you know. Here's the thing. We justify why we need to get something so that the Lord can use it. And then we never use it for the Lord, do we? But here's the thing. Lord, look at, can we? And, and the Lord goes, okay. Now, is that confusing? Is that confusing? It is a little confusing. He says, yeah, go for it. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and go on out with him. Go back and you talk to Balak. You go, you go, you get on your donkey and you go and you take it. You go, you go. But you better be very, very, very careful in how you speak. So he takes off and he goes, oh man, look at that. I knew I'd be able to twist God's arm to do it. And then Balak's arm, you know, donkey. You remember how he squishes Balaam's, you know, or Balaam's donkey, how he squishes Balaam's, you know, ankle into a rock, you know. And, and, and he, he, he finally ends up getting to a point where, where he ends up just stopping in the middle of the road and he won't go any farther, the donkey. And Balaam gets off the donkey and starts beating the donkey. And then he's by himself and the donkey goes, hey, why are you beating me? I mean, that's a story in and of itself that he even answers the donkey. He doesn't go, wow, a donkey speaking to me. He doesn't say anything like that. He just continues the argument because you're mocking me. Did he have a conversation with this donkey before? I don't think so, but here this donkey is speaking to him. He goes, because you're mocking me. You keep, you keep abusing me by doing this. I have never, the donkey says, I've never done not what you wanted me to do. I've always carried your burden. I've always done everything. Have I not done all these things? Have I ever been a bad donkey to you? Well, no. Well, then why are you beating me? Because you're doing all this stuff and you're hurting my ankle and you're now not moving. Get up. Slap, slap. And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he looked and he saw everywhere the donkey was going and where he was pushing up against, saw an angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand ready to lop off Balaam's head. And he goes, oh, Lord. Here's the thing. 
God said no, God said no, God said no, and Balaam kept going and going and going. He kept trying to twist God's arm. Know this, God will allow you to go down roads that you're going to force your hand to go down. You're going to force your way to go down, but it's going to end up to your destruction. It's going to end up to your destruction. Here's the thing. There are those that come to me and say, hey, how... Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do this? Can I do that? Now, I know that if they come and ask me this, and I say, no, you probably should not do that, they're going to go out and find somebody else that's going to say, yeah, I'm a pastor of another church. I'd let you do it. Oh, well, then, good. Your pastor said, this pastor said I can, and you said I couldn't. So I like to just take people to the Lord. But one thing I oftentimes say is, listen, if, if the Lord is... If, if you're coming to me asking this question, that tells me that you've got a little bit of a check in your spirit. If you've got a check in your spirit, you, buy, you might want to just walk away and go the opposite direction. Because maybe the Lord doesn't want you to go down that road. Much like Balaam. I, I don't want you to go down the road. And instead of coming to me with a question of, can I do this and will God still forgive me? Will God still be good with me? Will God be happy with me? Can God do this legally? I mean, and spiritually, can, can it be good? My question is always, why are you asking how close to the rocks you can float your boat instead of, without crashing, without running into the rocks and suffering shipwreck, instead of asking me, Hey, how far out into the ocean can I go away from the rocks of danger? You see, we don't like to ask those questions. We want to see how close to, the, to sin we can get and not crack up. We want to go as close to the danger zone as we can without actually dying, without actually suffering a spiritual shipwreck. And that's never a good way for a Christian to live their life. If that's you, if you want to know, if you press the envelope all the time to find how, how close to the edge you can go without God being mad at you or without God disapproving of your life, then I'm saying that you're, you're navigating through rocky waters and there's, it's only a time before, like the Titanic, you're going to hit something and you're going to sink and it's going to go fast. Be careful the way that you go. And so, here in the very first part of this verse, they're writing to Paul saying, hey, of the things that you wrote to me, they wrote to him asking clarifications on certain items. And Paul's going to address some of those items. We'll get them to him over the next couple of, of weeks. But actually, not next week, but actually, I'm not going to be teaching for three weeks now, I guess, because the youth are going to teach, and then Chet's going to teach, and then I'll come back in and we'll pick up chapter 7. But Paul says, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is, good for, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, the word touch in the Greek is haptomai. Haptomai. H-A-P-T-O-M-A-I. Haptomai. And this is not a word that means what it looks like on the surface. I sit there, is it good for a man not to touch a woman? It's not necessarily what it, it looks like on the surface. In other words, Paul's not saying that a man is never to touch a woman as if he were to like put out his finger and touch her shoulder. Granted, that might be a little creepy, but, but Paul's not saying a man is not to 
touched the shoulder of a woman with, with his finger. <laughs> not to brush up against a woman. You're not supposed to touch a woman. Don't touch a woman. It's not what Paul's saying here with this word. The definition of haptomai in the Greek is literally this. It's the handling of an object as, it, as to exert a modifying influence upon it or upon oneself. Let me say it again. The definition of haptomai or touch literally means handling of an object as to exert a modifying influence upon it or, one's, or upon oneself. In the culture of that day, everyone would have known exactly what Paul was saying. It was a euphemism for sexual intercourse. I'm going to define a little bit more on this, on this, this word here in just a second. But in that day, it was a euphemism for sexual intercourse. So Paul's saying, it's not, it is good for a man not to commit sexual intercourse with a woman. Okay? He's not saying any woman, and he'll, he'll address that as he moves on in this chapter. But he's saying not just any old woman. Now, here's the problem. That they're even asking this question tells you just how reprobate the church is. They're asking, hey, Paul, we need you to clarify something. Is it okay for the guys in the church and the gals in the church? Can, can we go out and sleep with other people? Is it cool? I mean, is God okay with that? I mean, they are temple prostitutes, and I know they're not necessarily the same religion as Jesus, but, as, but can we do it? Is that okay still? Can we sleep with people that aren't our own? That aren't our own spouse? Can, can, we, can we just do that? I mean, is that okay? Now, to you and I, we might look at that and go, are you kidding me? They have to ask that question? But it's just telling you, this is the kind of a life that these guys are growing up. This is a culture that they're living in. And so when Paul says, you know, here it is, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. It's a euphemism for that sexual intercourse. If I were to say to you today, hey, Willie cut the cheese. Can you actually say that from a pulpit? I did. Willie cut the cheese. In our culture, we wouldn't think that Willie had a block of cheese with a cheese slicer and he was going to go to town cutting the cheese, right? We're going to understand that it seems as though William has released a bit of flatulence, right? That's what we would understand. We would understand. That's a euphemism. And Paul's using a euphemism to say, this isn't the way this isn't the way of a Christian. This isn't the way in the church. In the truest sense of this word, Paul is saying that if you touch, haptomai, a woman, you are modifying her and you are modifying yourself. You remember what the definition is. The definition of the word touch is handling of an object as to exert a modifying influence upon it or upon oneself. And so there is a, a give and a take in a situation like that. There's a modification that's going on. You're modifying her, you're modifying yourself if you are having sexual relations with somebody who is not your wife. You remember we read last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, you remember the verse. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Okay, so Paul makes this this illustration, he says, in God's design, God intended for one man and one woman to be joined together in marriage, and that for life. 
and that when they are joined together sexually in matrimony, they are no longer two separate individuals, but they become one unit, one bond, one flesh. The idea is, is that when you go to a wedding, oftentimes you see the unity candles, right? We know the unity candles. There usually is the mother of the bride and the mother of the groom. They'll come up and they'll, there's two candles and, you know, sitting up there and then a bigger candle right in the middle of the two. Two smaller candles and then one big candle in the middle. And the two mothers come up and they, you know, together they go up there and, and, and they light the two individual candles that are standing in front of the larger candle or they're standing behind the larger candle. And they light it, and then they go and they take their seat and so on and so forth. And they do all the whole you know, procedure of the, of the wedding. And then there comes a time in the wedding where the, the pastor will allow the, 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 the bride, the soon-to-be bride and the soon-to-be groom, as they have united them in matrimony, here's what they're doing. They're going over and they, the, the bride would pick up the, the, the candle that her mother lit and the groom would pick up the candle that his mother lit and they would pick them up together out of their holders and they would go over and they would touch the two flames together thus taking from one flame each putting it into or taking two flames making it into one touching it down upon the unity candle the unity candle fires up it becomes lit they then take their individual candles out and and they blow their individual candles out the picture is is that it's no longer about he or me, it's now about we, right? It's no longer about you or me, it's now about we. We have become one. I came up here an individual, and I'm leaving this sanctuary, this pulpit, this altar, as another individual. I'm, I'm leaving a different person. I'm leaving this pulpit, I'm leaving this altar, up here coming up as one, I'm leaving as a united oneness, with my, st- with my new spouse. There's a oneness there. That's what God had intended for sex to be, for marriage to be. Have you ever seen an elderly couple that has been together since like being high school sweethearts? Maybe they're 60 years later. Not only do they look like they should be together, but they actually begin to look like one another. You ever see that? You guys were high school sweethearts too, huh? Look at this. Here's the thing. You start looking like each other. It's like you go, you look at them and you go, are you guys like brother, sister? I mean, what, what? I mean, you guys are like come from the same loins. What is going on? Because it's like they become their facial expressions and the way that they hold their, their selves and the way that they walk and the way that they talk and everything. You become what? You've become truly, you've become that one. You've become that one. And it's an awesome picture, isn't it? It's an awesome picture. You know, it's at, uh, this time I have to apologize to my beautiful wife in advance, but here in about another 15 or 20 years, she's going to be having a receding hairline and a bald spot in the back of your head, so I'm sorry. But stick with me here, listen. This is actually really important. If we become... Hey, that would be great. <laughs> that would be great. My wife says, well, either that or I'm going to get some hair. That would be a wonderful thing. Yes. I claim it. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, hey, if we become one with a person with whom we have a sexual encounter with, then maybe this may begin to explain much of what's wrong in our world, not just in our own nation, but in our world today. 
You see, picture in your mind for a second that I have two pieces of colored construction paper, one pink and one blue. And to simulate God's design for man and woman, when the two come together in marriage, there is a God-designed spiritual glue called matrimony that when the pastor says, until death do your part, you come together and you're glued together. And so take this pink paper and take this blue paper, smother it with glue, stick them together, and as they dry, as they bond... No longer do you have a pink piece of paper and a blue piece of paper, but you have a pink and blue attached to one another, never to come apart again, right? And he says, until death do you part. Do you understand what the pastor means when he says that? Yep, he means that you're married and you've become not only joined together in the eyes of a civil court, not even only in the eyes of a heavenly court, but you actually have become glued to that other individual and have become one with that person until you die. That's it. That's where you, that's where you are. It's the reason that God hates divorce. He only granted it to mankind because he says it was the hardness of your own hearts. You wanted it. You wanted it. You were going to go down that road. And so I've granted one reason for you to have a divorce, and that was for adultery. Because when the two colored construction pieces of paper have come, have become one, and then they attempt in divorce court to become two separate pieces again, you know, neither one leaves the union whole. They, they never leave that court. They never leave that dis, dis, disillusion of their marriage whole, do they? You try to take those two pieces apart, and what's going to happen? You're going to have ripped piece, ripped piece, ripped piece, ripped piece, and pretty soon you have just a, a, a bundled mess, jumbled mess. They leave the union ripped apart. They leave the union torn and shredded, small, ripped-up, colored reminders still glued to each other. No one ever gets out of marriage without damage. They're never a whole piece of paper ever again. Now Paul is speaking here, and he's saying that it's not good that a man touch or modify a woman who's not his wife, as he too will be modified himself, because in any sexual union, you'll bring yourself whatever colored construction paper that you are, and you glue yourself to another person, whatever colored construction piece of paper that they happen to be, Maybe it's a hookup. Maybe it's a one-night stand. Maybe it's just one night, you say. Yes, it may only be for one night, but in reality, it's a lifetime of some shredded pieces from you and your sexual partner still sticking to one another. Some of your torn life is still sticking to them for the rest of your lives. Now, if this is the case, when someone has multiple sexual partners, this person becomes a person who walks around looking like confetti. And it's a sad piece. It's a sad picture. The thing about confetti is that it's, it's confusing to our brains because there's so many colors. There's so many pieces and it's confusing, which causes maybe a, a, it, it elicits some sort of a, an excitement on our brain of, okay, wow, I'm trying to figure it out. And so it's causing everything to go crazy. But there's not any focus. You can't focus on it. 
Your mind might be wondering, wow, look at all of this. And you're just standing in wonder going, wow, 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 look at all these colors. But your, fo- your focus can't be on one color. Now, <clears throat> I remember uh, there's so many different colors our mind has to process. All the different colors instead of focusing on just one color. When I was still single <clears throat> many, many years ago, and, and I, I once shared an apartment with a coworker and friend of mine. His name was Wes. And, man, I'll tell you, we had a blast. Um, we had this apartment, and uh, some of the things that we do, we just, uh, we had so much fun. There were times where we'd go down and we'd buy dart guns, you know, and we would, we would get the best and most high-powered dart guns that we could find, and then we'd go home, and we'd basically, I, I don't know if this sounds weird to you guys, but yeah, I had fun. We had fun. We shut the lights off in the house except for very few dim lights in the house at dark. And he'd go to one far end of the apartment. I'd go to the other far end of the apartment. And we'd go, okay, go. And then, and then we'd sometimes take a half an hour trying to find each other to, to shoot each other. Okay? And, and to me, <laughs> it was awesome. We had a great time. Uh, there was one time I bunkered Wes. I mean, sometimes take a half an hour. There was one time that when I found out where Wes was, I, I bunkered him, which means that I ran up real fast on him where, when I knew where he was hiding, and I just appeared out of nowhere and I shot him and he screamed higher and louder than a little girl could scream. And we laughed and laughed and laughed. It, it, just, it, was, it was amazing. It was fun. But that year, we were only roommates for like a year or something like that. But that year we, we, had, we celebrated Christmas. We put up a Christmas tree in our house. The Christmas tree that we put up in our house, we went down and we bought, probably at Kmart or something like that, we bought all blue lights and only silver ornaments. That's all we had. And let me tell you, I was mesmerized at that tree. My wife, understands, she knows. I want to have a blue Christmas tree someday, and she's never allowed it, and we just, we're just still go with the colored lights. But here's the thing. One day, we're going to have a blue tree with only silver balls on it because I think it's pretty cool. Now, we do over the last, you know, uh, over the last 7, 8, 10, 12 years, we have a, a, a tree that we got from her parents that is beautifully flocked, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a used, or it's a, uh, uh, not a live tree, but, you know, artificial. Thank you, I couldn't think of that word. Artificial tree. And we only put white lights on it, and we do put silver balls on it, and red bows, which I really like that too. But it's pleasing to the eye. It's pleasing to my senses as I'm looking at this blue. It's just, it's just like, oh, this is just beautiful. Turn off the lights in the house and just sit there and be mesmerized at the tree. Same thing with our tree now. Mesmerized at the tree of all white lights, silver balls, red, red bows, and red little cardinals. We had little red birds that go on the thing. But here's the thing. My mind isn't having to process so many different things. Here's the problem with us. When we have these many different sexual partners, you're walking around as a confetti ball. You're walking around as a piece of confetti as you're walking around. And, and you're never going to be a whole blue. You're never whole in blue. You're never whole in pink. You're never whole. Your single color of, the, of the, the picture. Now, I know that there is redemption in Christ. And that's the cool thing about as a Christian. There's freedom in Christ. There's grace. We've just got done having communion. We just have gotten done talking about the grace and the love and the, and the forgiveness of the Lord. Where if anyone is in, is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. I believe in the, spirit, in the spiritual realm. I believe in God's heavenly kingdom 
When you have somebody that has been walking down and they come into a church as a confetti ball and they offer their heart to the Lord, they confess before the Lord, they, they, they accept Christ into their heart, God makes them a pink or a blue piece of paper again. He has the ability to wash away our sins. He has a, an ability to wash those things away. Now in the eyes of heaven, that's that way. The problem with we as human beings, we still have a brain because we still remember some of those old relationships. And that's the battle that we'll fight for the rest of our life. It's a battle we'll fight for the rest of our life. And so, here's what Paul is saying. Um, When you come together, when you come together and you become one with that other piece of paper, when you try to separate the two, you're going to be ripped and and shredded and torn. It's the reason that Paul's saying, guys... It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Unless, you know, he, he goes on and he says, and we'll, we'll get into this next week. I've got to finish right here. But he says, nevertheless, because of sexual morality, do let each man have his own wife and each woman let her have her own husband. And we'll talk about, you know, the roles of husband and wives as we get into next week's study. But here's the thing. Paul's saying, Be careful. You see, this isn't a, 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 a situation where I'm where where you know I'm even coming down on on you know somebody go well. What about homosexuals? What about what about you know uh, you know lesbians? What about what about you know people who love those people and 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 enter into a relationship with them and they are they're close. And they've been together for five years. What about that? Man, if you're not married to that person, well, I would say, listen, if you're with a person for five years, number one, what are you doing? Why are you playing house? You know, it always shocks me. You know, somebody who has, a, I have a live-in boyfriend, live-in girlfriend. Yeah, we've been living together. We have four kids together, but we're not married. No way. We can't handle marriage. We've been living together for 10 years. Go, I I guess there's a disconnect here. I don't understand that. I don't understand it. But, But the point is that Paul's saying, God intended us to have one man with one woman, and when they come together, it will be until death do you part. Because here's the thing. This was my design. And where our discontentment comes in is when this person has ultimate partners. All of a sudden this person's walking around with red and green and blue and purple and chartreuse and and orange and whatever. All of the colors of the rainbows and all of the different shades. You're going, I just can't find contentment in my life. I know, you can't find contentment in your life because you're looking... For love in all the wrong places, an old song used to say, right? You're not living according to the Lord. You're, you're, you're trying to navigate through the rocks of the waters and you have hit so many rocks and you have suffered so many shipwrecks. And there comes a point where you've got to stop and say, I'm dying in these rocks. Lord, show me the open ocean. Show me the depths of the water and help me to get out into where you are instead of navigating through the rocks of life, trying to find satisfaction through these things. Paul says, you know, it's not good 
It's not good to touch a woman like that. It's not good to have that because you are sharing with her who you are. She's sharing with you who she is. And that's for life. You've become one with that person. But it was only one night. Unfortunately, it's for a lifetime. Unfortunately, it's for a lifetime. You see, this isn't coming down on one people group. This is coming down on human beings. Have one husband with one wife, and that's it. Anything outside of that, you've got a problem. You're modifying a person, and you're modifying yourself to a point where you become really kind of an abortion of what it was that God had ever intended and designed it to be. And to make yourself satisfied, you're going to come up with different ideas of what God will allow in your life to allow yourself to sleep at night. I would just say, listen, if that's you, if that's been you, come before the throne of grace and you'll find grace. Come before the the forgiving Father. Come before the forgiving Jesus who hung on a cross for you. And I believe he can set the path straight. I believe that he can heal you and I believe that he can he can make you one color again. He can he can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. But that really is the only place that you're going to find. You're ever going to find wholeness once again is in Christ. Paul says, if you're a Christian, stay away from it. If you're a Christian, if you've fallen into this, run to the, run to the Lord. If you're not a Christian and you're asking this question, come to Jesus. He can make you, he can make you brand new. Brand new. I have had some fun studies over the last few weeks. They're a little difficult. But I won't run from them. I don't want to run from them. This is where the Lord has us. This is what he's saying. Come up with a different interpretation of what it is that he's saying. And I, I would be willing to hear. But that's not... There isn't another interpretation of what's being spoken of here. Let's be true to the one person that the Lord has brought into our lives. And if there has been... Listen, I know that as I give a message like this, I know that there can be a time where there might be some divorced people that are hearing this message, whether it be in this room or whether you're online listening to this thing right now, however you're listening to this. Here, You might be looking at this and going, what hope is there for me? I've given you the hope. Listen, it's in Christ. There's nothing that you have ever committed, nothing that has ever been done in your life that you've ever done that God has not the grace to forgive. That God has not the ability to not only forgive and restore, but God God loves you. And you're not going to be looked down as a second-hand Christian. You're not a second-hand Christian. You're a sinner saved by grace. You're a sinner that God has taken and radically transformed your life, and you are a trophy of His grace. You're a trophy of His grace. I would rather be the trophy of grace on the mantle of Jesus Christ than to be anything that the world can offer me. Because I know we're talking sexually here, sexual immorality here, and marriage and divorce and things like that, and we're going to get into more of it as we go on because we've got a couple more weeks through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's the thing.
just because we're talking about this doesn't mean that there are many other forms of sin that drive us away from the Lord. There's not one person that can ever look and go, well, that person's divorced. They're a second-hand person. No, I'm a sinner just as bad as anybody else. I haven't been divorced. My wife and I, we made a commitment. Never. I don't care. I don't care what happens. We're not going to bring up the word. We're not going to, we're not going to, we're never going to succumb to this. We're not going to do it. It just is not going to be a part of our vocabulary, nor is it going to be a part of, so we're going to, we're going to be stuck with each other. So you better work it out. And you know what? We've been doing it for 21 years and things are still going. They're going well. I'm spending more time with my wife now in prayer more so generated by her than me. But I can't tell you how much our relationship is growing because we're praying together every morning. Because we set apart a day where we say, hey, we're going to go together and we're going to spend time together on a date. We went out to Lido Key on Tuesday night. Took a little sandwich dinner. Sat out there. Lynette bundled up because Florida is freezing. <laughs> she was completely and totally covered up. And there's not another. Just people out in the water in bikinis. But she isn't covered completely. But we had these sandwiches. And we're sitting there. We're having a great old time talking with one another. We're sitting there talking, and, and Lena goes, hey, why don't you bring out the dinner? I said, okay. So I reached over, and she's sitting here, and I said, well, I better put the food over here because these sinking seagulls out here, they're going to they're gonna sneak up, and they're going to take our potato chips. You know. So I pick up this thing, and I go, and I set it over here. We're eating our sandwiches. I'm half, we, I cut my sandwiches in half diagonally, and I'm eating half mine. You know, Got half of my half done, and I'm sitting there talking to Lynette, and all of a sudden, someone hits me in the head, my head goes sideways, and my sandwich is stolen from my hand. A seagull came in and just bashed into my head, moved me to the side, wing went over my head, went down, didn't touch my fingers at all, just grabbed that sandwich and pulled it off and was going out, and you could see the little tomato kind of hanging from its mouth as it's going. And it goes out about 10, 12 feet in front of us and sits there and puts it on the ground and eats as if I'm taunting you. Ha <laughs> ha, you know? Look it. You couldn't do anything about that. And, and we laughed, we laughed, and that's a memory that we're going to have for the rest of our lives. You know why? Because we put a set-aside time to spend together. And I'm enjoying it. I'm loving every minute of it. Here's the thing. Yeah. My relationship with my wife, my relationship with my Lord, it's strong because... I'm putting effort into my relationship with the Lord. And, and, and so, walk out of here today free. Walk out of here today not feeling condemned. I hope that there's nobody that feels condemned walking out of here today. I want you to walk out of here knowing that God loves you and His grace has forgiven us and to cleanse that He's cleansed us from all sin. The thing is, is... Let's stay away from the rocks, guys. Amen? Let's stay away from the rocks. Let's stay away from the things that the world is doing. And let's follow the life that Christ has for us.
Because you know what? Really, when it comes down to it, I want to be found faithful when the Lord comes back. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.